0: Thank you. Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, for our weekly Earth Watch, Tom Goldtooth, Executive Director of the Indigenous Environmental Network, joins us to discuss the impact of Indigenous-led protests against the Keystone XL Pipeline, and now President Biden's announcement that he is revoking a key permit for the pipeline. The massive protests at Standing Rock against the pipeline brought national and global attention to the issue, and Biden's announcement is seen as a victory. But is Biden's announcement enough? What more is needed? Also, reaction to President Biden's other environmental executive orders and plans. And the latest on the second impeachment of Donald Trump, as Republicans indicate they will not convict Trump, while they make the claim that the trial is actually unconstitutional. Are there any options left? for Democrats to hold Trump accountable for the January 6th invasion of the U.S. Capitol. Law professor emeritus attorney and author Marjorie Cohn breaks it down for us. And grassroots activist organizations are now being targeted by social media networks, part of the blowback of the January 6th U.S. Capitol invasion. Our guest is Sharon Black with the People's Power Assembly.
1: President Biden is taking his first steps to reverse Trump administration health care policies. The White House says Biden today plans to sign orders on a range of issues, including getting more Americans covered and removing curbs on abortion counseling. The most concrete short-term impact will come from reopening healthcare.gov insurance markets as coverage has shrunk amid economic turmoil due to the coronavirus pandemic. That could happen as soon as February 15th. Biden also is directing health officials to weigh repealing a Trump rule that barred federally funded family planning clinics from referring women for abortions. President Biden signed executive orders Wednesday to transform the nation's heavily fossil-fuel-powered economy into a clean-burning one. He signed orders pausing oil and gas leasing on federal land and targeting subsidies for those industries. The fossil fuel industry says the moves could cost jobs. Christopher Martinez reports. The main executive order calls for a moratorium on oil and gas drilling on federal lands and waters.
2: Now, today's executive order also directs the Secretary of the Interior to stop issuing new oil and gas leases on public lands and and in offshore waters wherever possible.
3: That's an issue that could well end up being challenged in court by the oil and gas industries. But it's not the only thing they won't like about Biden's approach.
2: Unlike previous administrations, I don't think the federal government should give handouts to big oil to the tune of $40 billion in fossil fuel subsidies.
3: Other executive actions include a plan to hold a summit of world leaders on climate change scheduled for Earth Day, April 22nd. Biden is also reestablishing a series of government offices to deal with various aspects of climate change. And he's including a focus on those people most vulnerable to climate change. Reporting for Pacifica Radio News KPFA, I'm Christopher Martinez.
1: Tensions between the European Union and British Swedish drug maker AstraZeneca escalated on Wednesday over coronavirus vaccine rollout delays. The dispute began Monday when EU officials said they'd been told by AstraZeneca that the company intended to supply considerably fewer doses in the coming weeks than had been agreed to because of production problems. Feature Story News' Ollie Barrett reports. The EU's held a third round of crisis talks with AstraZeneca demanding that all obligations for vaccine supplies are met. The bloc signed a deal for 400 million shots of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine but has been told just a quarter of what was promised will be delivered in the first quarter. The EU is now calling for supplies from AstraZeneca's UK plant. Stella Kyriakidis is EU Commissioner for Health.
0: We reject the logic of first come first served. That may work at the neighborhood uh, butchers, but not in contracts, and not in our advance purchase agreements. Olly Barrett reporting.
1: Secretary of State Antony Blinken said Wednesday that he stands by former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's designation of China as committing genocide against the Uyghur Muslims. Pompeo said earlier this month that China was attempting to wipe out the Uyghur culture. Since 2016, China has detained at least one million Uyghurs in hundreds of euphemistically named re-education camps located across their homeland of Xinjiang and beyond. China has been accused of forcibly sterilizing Uyghur women, mandating abortions, imposing child quotas, and forcing Uyghurs to renounce their culture. China denies the claims. The Homeland Security Department has issued a national terrorism bulletin warning on the lingering potential for violence from far-right extremists upset after President Joe Biden's election. The bulletin suggests the January 6th riot at the Capitol may embolden extremists and set the stage for additional attacks. The department isn't citing a specific threat. But DHS points to what it called a heightened threat environment across the U.S. that it believes will persist for weeks after Biden took office. Illinois Democratic Senator Dick Durbin told CNN the assault on the U.S. Capitol this month demonstrates that these threats are serious.
3: It was a violent confrontation within this building. A a Capitol policeman was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher, and others were beaten with clubs. Uh, It was serious. It wasn't a political demonstration. It was a mob, out-of-control mob. Uh, And I think it's important that we receive this warning and take it seriously.
1: The wording of the warning suggests national security officials see a thread between recent violence over the past year motivated by anti-government grievances, whether over COVID-19 restrictions, the 2020 election results, or police use of force. Pakistan's Supreme Court has ordered the release of a Pakistani-British man convicted and later acquitted in the beheading of American journalist Daniel Pearl in 2002. The court today also dismissed an appeal of Ahmad Saeed Omar Sheikh's acquittal filed by Pearl's family. Sheikh has been on death row since his conviction. An attorney for Sheikh said the court also ordered the release of three other Pakistanis who'd been sentenced to life in prison for their part in Pearl's kidnapping and death. Sheikh was convicted of helping lure Pearl to a meeting in the southern Pakistani port city of Karachi, during which he was kidnapped and later killed. I'm Max Pringle. You're listening to Sojourner Truth on Pacifica Radio.
0: And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We are going to start off our show today with the environment on Wednesday, January 20th. Um, U.S. President Joe Biden formally announced that he was revoking a key permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. The pipeline route runs from Alberta, Canada, to refineries in Illinois and Texas, as well as an oil pipeline distribution center in Oklahoma. For many in the environmental and indigenous movements, this is a huge victory that is the result of years of struggle and organizing led by. By indigenous peoples, many were concerned about the Keystone XL pipelines potential for air pollution for leaks and spills that could pollute critical water supplies and cause harm to wildlife. Another major concern was the way in which the original route crossed the Sandhills, a large wetland ecosystem in Nebraska, and the Oglala Aquifer, one of the largest reserves of fresh water in the world. Furthermore, the Keystone XL Pipeline violated the sovereignty of indigenous nations along its route, whose demands and concerns were ignored for quite some time. The pipeline traversing Canada and the United States was first commissioned in 2010. For years, environmental and indigenous movements led resistance to the pipeline, often putting their own bodies on the line to protect the earth. On November of 2011, several thousand people formed a human chain around the White House to press uh, then-President Obama to block the Keystone XL project. In August of 2012, the tar sands blockade launched an indefinite tree sit in East Texas in February 2013 between 35,000 to 50,000 protesters organized a mass demonstration in Washington D.C. calling on former president Barack Obama to reject the planned pipeline extension and in January of 2015 the Nebraska Supreme Court cleared the way for construction of Keystone XL after Republican governor uh, had approved of it in 2013. In a temporary victory for the uh, uh, indigenous-led movements for the environment, the Obama administration rejected the project of Keystone XL in November of 2015. In April, though, in 2016, uh, youth from Standing Rock and surrounding Native American communities organized a campaign to stop the pipeline, calling themselves Respect Our Water inspired uh, by the youth many other indigenous and environmental leaders establish a water protectors camp as a center for direct action spiritual resistance to the pipeline cultural preservation and defense of indigenous uh, sovereignty. The hashtag no Dapple hashtag began to trend on social media and gradually the camps at Standing Rock grew to thousands of people. By October and November of 2016, police with riot gear and military equipment attacked the encampment and used water cannons on protesters in freezing weather. Although the encampment was eventually cleared, it was a major moment for not only the movement against Keystone XL Pipeline, but for the environmental movement, not only in the United States, but worldwide, and for indigenous movements generally. However, in January 2016, during his first week in office, Donald Trump signed a presidential memorandum to revive both the Keystone, both Keystone XL pipelines, which would transport more than 800,000 barrels of heavy crude oil per day from Alberta to the Gulf Coast. By July 6, 2020, after several years of legal and financial power struggles, the U.S. Supreme Court Ordered all Keystone XL work to be halted. In response, TC Energy stated that the United States uh, part of the project would be reassessed but not abandoned, with the Canadian part of it proceeding as before. But now, President Biden has overturned Trump's reversal of Obama's 2015 rejection of the pipeline, which is the result of over a decade of resistance uh, from impacted indigenous communities and other Earth defenders. And on Wednesday, January 27th, um, President Biden signed a series of executive orders intended to address climate change, including a new ban on some energy drilling, numerous environmental and indigenous Activists praise um, Biden's move to stop construction of the Keystone XL pipeline. However, many are stressing that he must cancel similar polluting fossil fuel projects, including the Dakota Access Pipeline, to stand any chance of meeting his climate action goals. Uh, before we welcome our guests, let's go to a couple of clips, uh, short clips now. One on the indigenous resistance against the Dakota Access Pipeline. That's a clip from the New York Times, and also just one uh, from CBS outlining um, what Biden has is focused on and fighting against climate change.
3: It's an amazing energy in, in in the camp right now. You have a lot of people that are there with with a solid expression of love and solidarity with uh, the Standing Rock Sioux Nation. The um, gathering here remains 100% peaceful and ceremonial as it has from day 1. And we stand together in prayer. There's no firearms, no weapons allowed, no drugs, or alcohol are allowed. It's a powerful moment not only for uh, you know the greater climate justice movement, but it is also a powerful moment for the Ochate Sacogne also known as the Dakota Lakota in the code nations uh, we haven't seen a, a large mobilization and unity of, of this scale for over 140 years
4: president biden has launched a new government effort to fight global warming signing a series of executive orders one of them blocks any new leases for oil and gas drilling on public lands his critics say that's bad for business and jobs ed o'keefe is at the white house ed good morning
2: Good morning, Michelle. Great to see you. Remember when he took office, President Biden said the country is fighting multiple crises, the pandemic, a sagging economy, racial and political divisions, and climate change. As he tries to fight that issue, there are some critics concerned that the changes he's trying to make could further upset the economy. In my view, we've already waited too long to deal with this climate crisis. We can't wait any longer. President Biden is planning to make the fight against climate change a core part of U.S. foreign policy for the first time. He's also establishing a White House Office of Domestic Climate Policy and ordering the government to begin buying zero-emissions vehicles. This will mean one million new jobs in the American automobile industry. The Biden approach is a big change from former President Trump, who pulled the United States out of the global Paris climate accord and rolled back more than 100 environmental regulations, arguing they slowed economic growth. I was elected to represent the citizens of Pittsburgh, not Paris. With an economy already hit hard by COVID-19, the president said his plan will create jobs. When I think of climate change, I think of, and the answers to it, I think of jobs. Mr. Biden is also freezing permits to drill for oil in offshore waters and barring any new oil and gas leases on federal lands. Critics like Todd Staples of the Texas Oil and Gas Association say that decision will lead to big job losses. Not producing it here means it makes us dependent on other countries for this energy source because there's a great deal of infrastructure that is
3: necessary
2: for renewable energies. But newly appointed U.S. climate envoy John Kerry says the changes will lead to economic benefits.
3: There are countless economic analyses
2: now that show that it is now cheaper to deal with the crisis of climate than it is to ignore it. Important to note again that this executive order only applies to new drilling on federal lands. Also today here at the White House, the president turning his attention to health care policy, signing an executive order that will reopen the healthcare.gov website beginning in mid-February for about three months. It's designed to allow those that have lost their jobs in health care during the pandemic to sign up for a government-backed plan. Tony? All right, Ed, thank you very much.
0: All righty, there you go. Um, Now to discuss all of this, I would like to welcome our guest, Tom Goldtooth, Executive Director of the Indigenous Environmental Network. Uh, Mr. Goldtooth has been awarded with recognition of his achievements throughout the past 40 years as an activist for social change and Indigenous-based just transition within the Indigenous and environmental and climate justice movements. From the strength of his community organ Organizing and leadership, he has brought the local issues of environmental, economic, energy, climate, water, and food justice and rights of Indigenous peoples to the national and international levels. Mr. Tom Goldtooth is a recipient of numerous awards, including the 2015 Gandhi Award, and in 2016, he was presented Sierra Club's highest recognition, the John Muir Award. Uh, Tom Goldtooth is also a Sundance leader and a great grandfather. Tom Goldtooth, welcome back.
3: Yeah, thank you. Uh,
0: Tom Goldtooth, let us just start with your reaction to President Biden's announcement specifically on the Keystone XL pipeline, Um, your reaction to it, but in relation to the pipelines, what else you think needs to happen?
3: Yeah, well, thank you for the invite again, and um, starting out with a reflection on uh, his position on pulling back on the K- K- uh, KXL pipeline is really the celebration from the people that uh, we, we are working with along the front line of that pipeline. Uh, for an example, in South Dakota, a couple of the grassroots groups that's part of our network, man, man they, they, they said, hey, this is what we really need. And, uh, but again, you know, there's still we we got we to be always on alert, you know. Uh, those are things that uh, we as a network and our constituency, uh, because overall there's still a lack of trust in the colonial governments. But there's a lot of—you know, there's a lot of positiveness in the Biden administration— we have a lot of friends who are native that have actually been selected to be part of his team. Uh, you know, ranging from uh, the, the American Indian Energy Department on renewable energy. We have a friend and colleague in that position now. And but yesterday we did we did release a statement, and you know we did say we're excited to see this pause on drilling and fracking on public lands but but still there's no grounds for full celebration until such uh... extraction is banned completely uh... so you know we we will be doing everything we can with our front lines to to work with the biden administration uh... there is some light at the end of the tunnel uh... and uh... we are you know, uh, somewhat optimistic about the chance to make some, you know, make some changes. Uh, I I liked uh, one of his comments uh, of creating a commission focused on environmental justice and green jobs. My immediate thinking was we already have that commission. That's our frontline communities. That's our tribes that have been working, you know, doing everything they can you know to shut down the expansion fossil fuels um, but uh you know I think I'm going to stop right there. you may have some other questions uh
0: yes i again. I do uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, uh, uh, Tom Goldtooth, I mean, you know, as a movement for change, we don't often pause to celebrate victories because we're so focused on the word ahead. But I really do have to uh, congratulate not only your work, the work of the Indigenous Environmental Network and those of your affiliates. Affiliates who have for so many years uh, worked to bring this uh, issue to attention and although i I wanted to ask also because the Dakota access uh, pipeline, which was such a focus of the uh, standing rock protests, there's still work to be done there, but I wanted uh, to get your reaction because I think, this is my view, you can see if you, you agree with that, that it really is this massive movement led by indigenous uh, people that really made the way, not only for what Obama did when he paused the pipeline, but um, what Biden is doing now with his focus on the environment, even though we know it's not enough. Because sometimes when you know, you're on the street and you're doing the day-to-day not-so-glamorous work of uh, movement building, uh, we can lose of, you know, the, the end result and the impact that we have had. And I think the, the work that you have done has not only had a national impact, but also a global impact. Uh, Tom goldtooth your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, um, you know, we're doing everything we can to tell Biden and his team, you know, don't just stop at, uh, you know, KXL Pipeline. You know, we still have uh, the Enbridge Line 3 here in our backyard here in Minnesota, uh, and we still have Dapple. You know, we are asking him and his team to take action on that as well. Uh, here in our backyard, you know, there's many, many Native groups and the support of our non-Native allies. I mean, they're on the line there. Uh, and uh, we need to have global attention of the atrocities of how, again, these uh, fossil fuel uh, industries and uh, energy industries, utility industries are all part of the problem. I mean, there is some signs with Biden uh, administration that we can start to address these really serious issues here in our backyard we got a lot of other native groups also really holding the line honor the earth gnu collective we got the rise uh, coalition here as well grassroots based and uh, you know we're doing everything we can everyone here to hold the line and so you know this is a really critical issue when we come to when it comes to climate policy We're in. We have to demand. This is an emergency for this country. You know, I I believe previous uh, times have been on. Is that our traditional leaders, our spiritual leaders, are saying, "Hey, you know, the trees are dying from the top down." You know, we're, we're having water depletion, groundwater and surface water. You know, we don't want in the future to have more situations of conflict and battles between. Uh, the sovereignty of our native nations around water uh, issues. But, uh, you know, the signs are there. Fifty years from now in Red River Valley here in our backyard in North Dakota, uh, Minnesota, and Canada, Manitoba, there's going to be a scarcity of water. You know, we don't want to see water wars in the future. Uh, and, And that's why, you know, we have a hard line. We have a hard line, you know, so we're standing in principle with the Biden administration. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of education still needed with with the listeners uh, around, you know, this issue of demanding justice on these stolen lands in the U.S. and Canada, that uh, climate change mitigation cannot be achieved through market-based solutions like cap-and-trade, California has a cap-and-trade and and carbon offset uh, initiative, uh, carbon tax, and unproven technologies, carbon capture and storage. These are not proven technologies. They just stall stall the process of cutting emissions at source. That's the bottom line. We have to cut emissions at source, keep fossil fuels in the ground, you know, we we have we have the knowledge to do that.
0: Yeah, and um, I'm wondering, ha- have the the Harris uh, Biden Harris team uh, met with you and other uh, indigenous uh, movement leaders on some of these issues, Tom Goldtooth, As of yet.
3: Uh, yes, yes. Um, I, I I must say yes. There's been a lot of uh, communication, openness to uh reach out to Indian country, I'll use that term. Um there's still a lot of work that needs to be done when we talk about how the federal uh agencies and this colonial government United States on on what their responsibilities uh is to have meaningful consultation uh, with tribes as governments, but also not forget the tribal members, the grassroots, the spiritual leaders, the traditional practitioners that need to be part of that outreach and consultation. What we are demanding of the Biden administration uh, is to strengthen that consultation by embracing the principles and standards of free, prior, and informed consent, so that's something that you will find on the creation of this other campaign that we're part of, uh, and that is, uh, Build Back Fossil Free campaign. And it's on a website. We have a website on that to where, uh, we, people can see those different, uh, uh, initiatives that we're, we're demanding, uh, and it includes uh, this language of, uh, of uh, improving that nation-to-nation relationship between this government and our indigenous nations and peoples.
0: Right. And, you know, even as we speak, you likely may have heard that in India, with such a a massive uh, population, the farmers there have been leading a protest against the policies of uh, Modi, which is he's a friend of Trump, very similar uh, policies. And they're opposing the privatization of uh, farms there and really defending uh, family farms and bringing out how many. Of their farmers have committed suicide over the decades because of the cost of uh, genetically engineered seeds, et cetera. And there have been solidarity protests with the farmers um, here in the U.S., but also in places around the world. And I can't help but make the connection with the impact of a movement because there there is an interrelationship clearly with uh, the work of the Indigenous Environmental uh, Network and those people who are farmers who are working on the land and trying to defend uh, the land. So just wanting to highlight the importance of movements from the bottom up um, having an impact in work getting done. But you might want to comment on that. But also before you, you go, I also just wanted to get a reaction from you, or given Deb Haaland now uh, being part, Interior Secretary, part of the uh, Biden administration, and, an, an indigenous woman, and what your hopes are, do you do you think that that will uh, make a way uh, where prior a way had not been made? Uh, Tom Goldtooth.
3: Well, we, we've been mobilizing for a number of years now around, you know, this specific issue of uh, climate change. It's so, there's so many cross-cutting issues with, with this, with this crisis that we're in, with the changing climate, with global warming. Um, and we're, I think the listeners can all look in their own backyards, whoever you are, you're seeing the effects of, of weather patterns that are different, things like that. eh? So one of the strategies we had is really looking at the analysis of how can we be effective as American Indians and Alaska Natives and our brothers and sisters in Canada, the First Nations. And we saw the strength of mobilizing from the grassroots. I mean, that's the foundation of how IEN was formed from youth, women's societies, Elders all on the front line, community-based confronting toxic contamination, environmental racism on how colonial environmental laws and standards don't take our communities into consideration. So we we have that understanding. We have that uh, analysis. And how do we work and strengthen our relationship as tribal members within our own respective tribal nations? Uh, around developing environmental protection mechanisms, our own indigenous laws. Uh, Those are things that we're very familiar with. So with that understanding, we needed to build a power base. Uh, We just don't have that political power. I like to believe we do as indigenous peoples. We have a moral platform. Yes, people embrace that. But how do we build political power? So that's how we've been been forming these uh, broad alliances and coalitions, like the Climate Justice Alliance, uh, building uh, strength with other communities on the front line of struggle, uh, people of color, black communities, uh, and, and building that base. And it was the formation of an alliance of alliances. It takes roots. So, this is some of the things that we've done, and uh, we we are now a, a national table, the green New Deal national network uh, and uh, with a lot of different green groups, but social justice groups. so this is where we've been strategic on building the mechanisms to have a voice um, and uh, you know been part of dialogue with uh, uh, Biden's transition team, uh, so I, you know, that's very much needed, and we, we will continue to do that to work the heel, you could say, but it's also at the local and state level, so we're, we're, we're building the capacity to be able to do that and have our communities hang in in this type of strategy. It's difficult because when you engage in the heel of Washington, D.C., that I've often said, you know, we got to find a way that, that that builds the power of our front lines, and uh, the, 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 the culture on the hill with policy and legislation, it, it pivots all the time. There's compromise, there's negotiations. So those are things that we are engaged in. We ask uh, people to have the patience as we build that mechanism to be engaged and really Make some really critical changes that we need. Uh, we we have that line with our, our sister, our auntie, uh, um, Deb you know Dev Holland, uh, and uh, you know and she's, she's, she's been meeting with our a lot of our constituency. She understands this this topic and how critical uh, uh, her work is going to be to really lift up uh, the rights of indigenous peoples uh, to address climate and how natural resources are are looked at and so-called managed. So we have a full agenda for the next four years and uh, um, let's stay tuned and to each other and work together. Uh, this is a, a time when we really need to build strong uh, coalitions and alliances.
0: Right, absolutely. Well, um, true words and building power from the bottom up. Thank you, Tom Goldtooth, for your leadership, for the work of the Indigenous Environmental Network. We do link with your website on Sojourner Truth so people can go there, um, go to the Indigenous Environmental Network website to get more information on the Build Back Fossil Free and other movements. Uh, Tom Goldtooth, we hope to have you back when you can. And thank you so very much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. Thank you. you. And we also want to thank the Global Justice Ecology Project. We've partnered with them for our weekly Earth Watch. We're going to take a station break. And then coming up, Sharon Black on what's going on with Facebook and perhaps, we don't know, other social media outlets uh, trying to censor grassroots activists, social justice organizations, and also Marjorie Cohn on Trump's impeachment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. One
4: I you you? you Are
0: i that gonna power- song is a healing song by Lakota Peyote. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us there. Check out our website at sotrueradio.org and our handle on Instagram and Twitter at sotrueradio. We're also worldwide and uh, nationwide on SoundCloud and today we'd like to give a shout out to uh, all of our indigenous uh, sisters and brothers, Uh across um, the land now known as the United States or Turtle Island. Internationally, we'd like to give a shout out to our indigenous sisters and brothers in the place that is now known as Canada. We are now going to turn our attention to some um, fallout from the Capitol riot (laughs) that happened by white supremacists, Christian nationalists, Trumpsters that took place on on January the 6th. And, um, you know, a lot of security measures being put in place. And a lot of um, black and brown people and activist um, organizations are a a bit worried because we know very well when there are new laws or crackdowns by law enforcement uh, that all too often uh, we feel the brunt of it, and uh, to discuss uh, what is happening uh, to her organization, I'd like to welcome Sharon Black, who is an organizer with both the People's Power Assembly based in Baltimore, Maryland, and with Struggle, La Lucha, Mujeres, and Lucha, a national women's organization. Sharon Black, thank you for joining us.
5: Thank you, Margaret, and good morning, Um, and thank you for this
0: opportunity. Right. T- tell us what happened because th- this happened with Facebook, right? Um, and and your group. T- just tell us what happened and, yes. and how you all pushed back, Sharon. Yeah.
5: You know, on February twenty second, that just past Friday, um, actually our Facebook page, pages rather, both the women's group and the People's Power Assembly, were disabled. We also learned that uh, Social worker's Party, which is sort of a, a different from the U.S. in Britain, was also disabled. Um, and what it amounted to is then 16 other activists um, had their accounts disabled. So it wasn't a post. It was actually our entire pages were taken down with no ability to actually appeal this. And it included it affected the... Um, Harriet Tubman Solidarity Center here's group. It infected, uh, affected rather, Lady J um, Jenkins, who runs the What's Up Baltimore page, an alternative um, uh, black media that is run by women mostly. Um, It infected, um, you know, uh, Cheryl Labash, who is the co chair, one of the co chairs of the National Network on Cuba, and also particularly. Berta Joubert-Cisi, Sisi, is a major activist in the Puerto Rican community in Puerto Rico, and she uses her page a lot to connect with that movement. So you can see, like, even though the People's Power Assembly and Women in Struggle, we have very little money, and in some sense we're small, in comparison, obviously, with giant organizations into Facebook, it literally disabled a whole host of activities across the country. And so... We had little recourse, which we can talk about, the so called oversight board. Um, what we had to do is take to Twitter, take to whatever avenue we could, email, uh, and, and really literally expose this. And it was really solidarity that finally got this rescinded. Um, but what I, I, you know, they sort of sent a chilling message in some ways that Facebook, Instagram, any of the social media can shut us down any time they please. With no reasons. Uh, we did not violate any kind of community standards. Uh, there was no warning. We just woke up and we were down. Um, and so that was sort of our plight. And it's sort of a, a message that, you know, uh, I won't get into too much more. You know, you may have other questions, but that's actually what happened to us. And it really took solidarity. A number of radio stations interviewed us, particularly in Puerto Rico, but also uh, nationally. And, of course, your station, which is wonderful, is speaking to us right now because we're not satisfied. Our accounts are back up, but there's been no reason given by Facebook, no apology. And what is most important is that we have a, a way of preventing this from happening again to particularly, uh, you know, more marginalized voices, which talked about um, black people, indigenous people, people of color, Latinx people, LGBTQ two-spirited people, you know, all the voices that are generally not heard in mainstream media have used social media as platforms. So this is a chilling message that they can shut any of us down at any time and so we're still outraged about it and you know in some ways facebook is like a public utility it has become a necessity particularly in the pandemic and and later i can share with you a story of one of our admins because what they did is they took all the administrators out who is an immigrant from sri lanka and he uses his facebook page to get jobs for his you know for photographing people and he also uses it to connect with family and dead relatives or, you know, deceased relatives. And you can't re-friend them, you know, the next time. So it's been, like, painful for people individually because that means they can't connect with family. It means that if your mom or your dad or your grandfather passed away, that that page is something that connects you to those memories. And Facebook literally denied people that. anyhow.
0: Yeah, well, uh, Sharon Black, I mean, it's you're, you're absolutely right that even though you got your pages uh, back up, and by the way, for our listeners in, in Southern California, the Los Angeles Harriet Tubman uh, Center, Maggie and John and folks over there, they were also impacted, but I imagine their sites are back up. And also to note that increasingly, um, there is an attempt to criminalize uh, people who support Palestinian rights and, um, you know, claiming that you're um, anti-Semitic if you you uh, meant that, and that the word Zionist is is a, a slur. If you would believe that, but um, we are Sharon Black out of time now. We do have to go to our next guest about the impeachment of of Donald Trump. But for people who want to find out more about what happened to you, and also about your organizations, what should they do?
5: They could go to um, People'sPowerAssembly.org. That's www.people's power assembly and Thank you Margaret so much um, for your help in
0: this yes and please please keep us please keep us posted uh, a colleague uh, the Reverend Annie chambers uh, who also yes. based in Baltimore who you know she was absolutely outraged about this so we'll keep our eye on this because a, a lot of organizations could very well be under threat thank you so much for your work uh, and for joining us Sharon black all righty <laughs> thank you very much. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. I would now like to welcome back to Sojourner Truth, Marjorie Cohn, Professor Emeritus at Thomas Jefferson uh, School of Law, uh, former president of the National Lawyers Guild, a criminal defense attorney, legal scholar, political analyst, writes books, articles, lectures throughout the world, uh, provides commentary for major uh, news networks. So we're very happy to have access to her expertise. Uh, Marjorie Cohn, welcome back thanks for having me, Margaret. Okay, so it looks given the way the vote went down um, on in in the Senate, the articles of impeachment you know have been presented, and only in the Senate there were only five um, Republican senators who gave any indication that they may very well be open to impeachment. So a lot of people are now saying that impeachment is dead in the water. Uh, Republicans are making the claim that the whole trial is unconstitutional. And people are wondering, well, if impeachment fails, what else can be done to hold uh, Donald Trump to account um, for his role in whipping up the crowd that invaded the Capitol? Just your thoughts on all of this, Marjorie Cohn.
4: Um, yes. Well, on Tuesday, as you said, the Senate voted 55 to 45 um, to defeat the the 45 votes the Republicans voted that the trial would be unconstitutional because Trump has already left office, and that uh, <clears throat> that theory is wrong. The weight of constitutional scholars disagree with it. Um, the Constitution provides for both um, removing the president from office and disqualifying him from holding future office, and that is an option, and uh, the courts will not likely get involved in the issue of whether that trial is constitutional, because in the Nixon Nixon versus U.S. case in 1993, Nixon, a federal judge, um, his impeachment, the court refused to get involved. Um, And there is precedent for um, impeaching uh, an an official after he leaves office. Um, But what they're doing here, Margaret, is Um, setting it up to use as political cover as a reason to vote for acquittal. So these 45 senators will say, well, yes, you know, there's a lot of evidence, but, uh, you know, it's unconstitutional. We really uh, can't hold a trial because he's no longer in office. And uh, they'll use it as political cover. So what can happen is that it takes two-thirds majority of the senators voting to vote for conviction and we're not going to get that it's pretty clear as you said but it only takes 51 percent of the senators voting to vote under section three of the 14th amendment um, to prevent trump from holding office because that section says no one shall hold any federal office who engages in insurrection or rebellion. And as we know, the evidence is overwhelming for months screaming voter fraud falsely, uh, the protest is going to be wild. His campaign, it turns out, um, paid $2.7 million um, to, to, they got the permit for the rally. Um, Maggie Mulvaney, the The niece of former Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney was paid $138,000, listed as the VIP lead for the rally. Um, And now it turns out that the Inspector General in the Department of Justice, the Inspector General is the independent watchdog in all the federal agencies. And they are revealing efforts by Trump and Jeffrey Clark to push other Justice Department officials to falsely claim fraud. The New York Times reported that Trump considered installing Clark as the acting Attorney General to carry out the the scheme to um, basically eliminate Biden's win in uh, in Florida. So the evidence continues to emerge. Of course, some remarks that he made on uh, January sixth, you know, inciting the crowd just before they walked down um, the to uh, to trash the Capitol. Um, so. They could. I don't know what will happen with the 14th Amendment, because that has not been invoked before. I think there's a good likelihood that it will be invoked. Then the question is, um, you know, Trump will sue, of course, and it will go through the courts. And will the Supreme Court, what will the Supreme Court do? They don't like to get involved in the elections. Um, they threw out his, uh, his lawsuit about uh, so-called election fraud and the, you know, the uh, electoral votes. So there's a lot happening, and it remains to be seen uh, how it's going to all play out. Now, it's going to start on February the 8th, um, and that is by agreement uh, between the new Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and uh, Mitch McConnell, who's still holding a lot of cards with the filibuster uh, but they agreed to put it off. Um, McConnell wanted to put it off, and Schumer just also probably checked with Biden. Biden wants to uh, get much of his program underway. So it will start on February 8th, the trial.
0: And what about this business about censure? I mean, two things, the you know, that approach that some people apparently in a bipartisan uh, move uh, may be pressing now to censor Trump. But this 51 percent vote so he would never be able to run for office again. That's a separate vote. Right. So that is still yeah. a, a, an, an option that could potentially uh, happen. Uh, Marjorie Cohn.
4: Yes, that's true. A censure is, you know, like a slap on the wrist, and it'll, you know, it's not going to bother him at all. He's been
0: impeached. Yeah. It
4: doesn't bother him much. Um, but no, this is a separate vote under the 14th Amendment, and it's really important because, yes, it would be very, very critical for him to be convicted. He would be the first president who's been convicted at uh, the Senate impeachment trial. But the most important thing right now is to keep him from running for office again. He's talked about running for president in 2024. He still has a very, very solid base, which is why these Republicans are still prostituting, prostrating themselves, as they've been doing for four years, because they want to tap into his base, um, his racist, evangelical, um, uh, you know, base. And, uh, and so it's, it's, uh, it's really important that he not run for president again. And that's why this 14th Amendment process is so important. But again, it hasn't been tested, so we'll see, A, if they do it, and B, if they do, meaning the Senate, the, 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 both Houses of Congress, I think the, the House of Representatives would have no problem with it. Um, and if the Senate does it as well, then the question is, uh, will the courts get involved?
0: Right. And and one has to wonder if, you know, people are noting that John Roberts, he is not um, overseeing this particular trial. And, you know, there are various theories about why um, one of which may be, well, if it ends up in the Supreme Court. How would that work if he uh, oversaw the trial? But who knows? Um, but Marjorie Cohn, you mentioned the filibuster a, a few times here. We, we have about a, a minute or so. And if you could, in that time, shed any light to our listeners about the importance of this particular discussion about the filibuster.
4: Yes, well, as it stands now, in order to get any major legislation passed, um it uh, takes two thirds of the Senate, and uh, so that basically paralyzes uh, the the uh, program. Biden's program. The House of Representatives has uh, has sent I don't know more than four hundred bills to the Senate, and they just sit on Mitch McConnell's desk. Mitch McConnell <clears throat> um, was basically holding hostage the. Um, the agreement between the Republicans and the Democrats on rules to go forward until the Democrats guaranteed that they would not try to eliminate the filibuster. (laughs) Now, he backed down from that uh, because there are two Democratic senators, Joe Manchin and uh, the woman from Arizona, I forget her name right now, who have said they would never vote. To get rid of the filibuster so mcconnell knows that it's safe that he uh, won't have that that he has the votes to keep it from uh, from yeah. uh, being overturned and that's why he um... you know he agreed to go forward so that was somewhat of a compromise but we were still stuck with the filibuster there are some things called reconciliation for certain budget matters where they can uh, do it with 51 percent but a lot of the legislation most of it is going to require um two-thirds vote right now because of the
0: filibuster all righty well there you have it marjorie cone thank you so much for joining us and breaking it down we'll have you back and uh, our listeners could check out your writing on truth out as well as other places thank you so much for joining us um but we we are out of time. Today's show produced. I'd like to thank all of today's guests. Today's show produced by me, that's Margaret Prescott, our audio engineer, Kiana Williams, our assistant producer, Romero uh, Funes. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives. Thank you for listening, and you all please stay safe.